0: Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more
1: information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. So uh, just as a point, we have been having difficulty with our, with our podcasting. Um, some people are listening to it and it's fine. Some people are listening to it and they can't understand it because it's garbled. We don't know why right? Um, so bear with us if you, I don't know, I, I don't even know what to say. I can't even, because there's like Dan and I've been looking at it and we're like, I don't know, because it, there's no consistency with it. So um, we're, we're trying to troubleshoot. So the best thing is if you want to re-listen to a message at this point, if you're listening on the website or on Apple, on iTunes, um, and it's fine, then yay God that you're good. Right? if you're listening to it and it's garbled and and you're and I don't know what you use, you can go on to the house of hope um Facebook page, not our group page but our ministry page, and the live stream will be on it and you can listen watch and listen, and the quality is okay um but we're working on the other stuff so um yeah it's been i don't know what I don't know what to say so it just technology. It's awesome when it works, and it's stupid when it doesn't. So, oh. yeah, <laughs> I will. And on another hand, no, I'm just kidding. Um. <laughs> so, this is interesting. I want to talk a little bit about uh, re-entry, and I don't know what reentry means to you, um, but I've been pondering the last I don't know how long it's been it's been it's been a while it's been a few months and as as you know one of the one of the things that we want we have been establishing here at House of Hope can you hear me okay one of the things that we've been establishing at House of Hope for a number of years now is that we want to create a place where everyone is welcome and I and I alluded to that um, you know politically um, and I, I'm very serious about that I I believe there are places there are there, you know, as a society we we ostracize each other because of our beliefs. If 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 I don't believe the way you know a certain political party does, then I, I can't actually be friends with that political with anybody within that political party, you know, or church, let's or or company. You know, sometimes it gets to the point where it's like, well, if you work as, you know, in the sanitation department of the city, I am not going to, um, I am not going to associate with you as, as some, you know, as a secretary. I don't know. Yeah, that's extreme, but do you get where I'm going? Like, it's like we have this ostracization of, of in society that we believe that if we don't, we have to agree on everything in order for us to have friendship or relationship or anything. And that just simply is just not true. That's, that's the political spirit that Jesus talks about in by dividing, and so we want to create a place where um, where everyone is welcome, and at the same time, where everyone is welcome, they are also challenged to actually become like Christ, right? And that's that. There's this tension, and I think oftentimes we've created a place where you know it's uh, we we've, we've turned the, the the sanctuary you know into a brothel in the sense of. We're, we're not standing by who we really are and who Jesus is but we want to invite people because it looks really good and they can party and they can do whatever they want and not change but at the same time we want them to feel comfortable because we love them and we accept them and you know we want to apply first john you know what first john is first john 8 first john 1 verse 8 anybody can anybody quote that to me first john 1 verse 8 says And I had it in my mind. I had memorized it as a child. But I'm going to read it because my mind just went blank. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have to have a place that we're creating where we actually still deal with broken relationship we, we, with, with broken identity, with, with, th- with whatever. But we don't deal with that. The Holy Spirit does. I'm going to go into that a little bit more, obviously. But re-entry is, is, is huge if you think about this. Anybody astronaut fans or NASA fans or like just space, space ships and stuff like that? I, was, I grew up in the 80s. I was a teenager in the 80s. And in, in the 80s um, were an earmark for the space shuttle program, right? And even in the 70s with the Apollo programs and, the sp- and in the late 60s with the, you know, with the space age, the, you know, with the United States was one of the, you know, with that and Russia were at the forefront of, of space. And they termed, uh, they termed when a spaceship re-enters the Earth's atmosphere, it's a crucial moment because everything has to go perfectly right in order for the astronauts or the spaceship to actually go back into the Earth's atmosphere and, and, and be collected into the atmosphere. And so, you know, in the 1980s, when I'm, I'm watching as a kid and, and the space shuttle, it was always a... Everybody would cross their fingers and hold their breath as the space shuttle would descend into the Earth's atmosphere, and the heat shields all had to work well, and everything had to go, and the reentry was smooth. Now, in 19... Um, I think it was 1980s... Um, Six, The Challenger, uh, no, the Columbia blew up in reentry. No, it wasn't 86. 86 was, um, was Challenger. Columbia, though. When was Columbia? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Columbia was the Challenger blew up on, 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 on ascent. Cha- um, Columbia blew up in reentry. And they had loose heat shields. And what had happened was that the heat in reentry, the heat of coming down so fast, caused a major malfunction and the ship blew up. And so there's this sense in the kingdom of this idea that when we have people who are out there, we need to create an atmosphere, a place where they can actually re-enter safely. Where there's not tension, where there's not, you know, division on, well, you shouldn't be doing that and you shouldn't be doing this. And we've talked about this a lot. But it, it's, it's, it's a crucial time. Another area of re-entry is, you know, when we send Bethel students away um, and they go, to, they go to Bethel and they're there for three years, like, you know, Zach and Andrew and, and we have a few others, you know, when they come back, it's like they have changed so much that they have a hard time reintegrating into the culture that they have left. I had the same, a very similar experience when I was in YWAM. And I went to YWM and I did a discipleship training school and I went back to my church and they were so different because they were dead. They were absolutely dead. There was no life in the church that I came from. At least that's what I thought. But a place wasn't prepared for people who had gone out and grown when they come back, right? Because, you know, we had grown. We've just grown slower than they did or that I did. And it wasn't a bad thing. It was just reentry. And YWAM would train us in what, I remember years ago, YWAM would, there would be classes and and three days on how to re-enter a church properly and and how to serve and and, and to make your re-entry as smooth as possible. So here we are, years later, it's 2019, almost 2020. And we're looking to provide a place for people to re-enter the kingdom. Because the Father has already done what he needs to do, he sent Jesus, Jesus died, he's paid for their sins, and he's, he's, he's done what Jesus has done. And now, what do we do? So I want to look, look at Luke 15. And this is a, you know, I've preached on this several times, and I think a lot of you have, have touched on it, and, and it's, it's not an unknown story. The story of the lost son. As I like to call it, it's the story of the of the loving father, and we're just going to read through
0: that, and then I have a few things I want to um, I want to talk about. I have some time. Verse
1: eleven, he says, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, "Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me." The Father divided them to his divided them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions on prodigal living. But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went, joined himself to a citizen of that country, basically, he got himself a job, and he, and he was sent into the fields to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, and I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father, But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and he ran and he fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and said, "What did, what, did, what these things meant?" And and he said to him, "Your brother has come because he has received him. Or your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf." But he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out. And pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me as much as a goat that I may make make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. All right. So we've all read this several times ad nauseum. And, and we're thinking, what, what new thing we possibly get out of this? Well, let's see. If we're looking at a re-entry Definition or a reentry entry level of, of looking for increase, looking to welcome people in. There's a few things that I want to kind of touch on in the time that we have this morning. The first thing I want to look at is that the father in this story had faith. The father had faith. He watched in hopeful observation and then he acted. He had faith that he knew that his son was, would come back. And he was preparing himself. He said he, had his, he kept his faith on. Because the Bible says he was looking. He was always looking. And he knew. And then there was a a, a, time, um, uh, there was a time in there of preparation. And this is where this prophetic act comes in. Sometimes we are going in through, uh, through stuff in our lives. And, and we have prophetic words. And and people have spoken things to us. This is what you're going to do. I see this on your life. I do this, and and we don't do anything with it. We don't prepare ourselves for that time of of when it comes. So it's like we don't have faith for that word. Or we don't. We're not preparing ourselves. I remember Chris was telling a story just recently, Chris Valentin, and he was saying like he was he was praying, and then all of a sudden he had this vision of 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 his son Jason, and Jason he's been here. Of Jason speaking in front of thousands of of people on emotional health, and people were getting um, saved and healed and delivered and there was just he said the vision was actually three or four minutes long it was it was specific about what the Lord was going to do with jason and and stuff and and he just he was getting excited and he says, "I texted Jason back to after this, and he says, You have to know that my son is not a good texter he doesn't respond." He'll just give one-word answers or not even respond at all. That's just who he is. He says, but immediately I sent this text, and Jason texts back and said, Dad, I had that same vision three months ago. He says, and then they got together and started to plan how they could make that come a reality. And when I heard that, I thought, man, how many times have I received a prophetic word from somebody, and i I've, and I've just like, oh, that's very nice and not done anything to actually make it happen. Not that we make our prophetic words happen, but there's got to be some process. There's got to be something that we do to prepare us for the time that it comes to pass. You may or may not know Eric Johnson, Bill's son who leads Bethel, is deaf. He's profoundly deaf. He's got hearing aids. And, and he's over all of his life. I think he's early 40s now or late 30s. You know, he's the people have prayed for him. And he's prepared himself for the day that he gets his hearing. He's actually done things and put them in place for that day. Because I have faith. I know that at some point, it's not God's will that I'm deaf. But I will receive my healing. I will get healed. And so I'm going to prepare. And he says, I've, I've, I've purchased or I will purchase. I have money set aside for the best set of earphones, so that I can listen to music unhindered by my deafness. Because now he says, I just hang them over my ears, and they just go into my my hearing aids, and it's not great, but I can hear. These, he says, and he's picked out the very best earphones. I thought, that's amazing. So the father, what the father was doing, he had faith. So what he did is that the, it was the son left, and the Bible doesn't talk about how long he, the, the son was gone, but in the process from the son leaving, the father started to fatten up a calf. I don't know if we've ever looked at it that way before. He started this process of the celebration of when his son was going to come home by actually by fattening up a calf. It was, it was, he was preparing for his son's future reentry. But that's amazing. He fed the calf, he nurtured the calf, and then maybe the calf grew up and, and became big enough that he had to start again. Because you're no longer a calf, you're a cow, or you're a heifer. You're too big. I'm going to start again. And we don't know, it doesn't say doesn't say how long the father waited. But what it does say is when the father saw the son, took off, running, met the son halfway, brought his servants in, give him a robe, give him a ring, give him sandals, and that calf that we've been waiting for? Kill it. We're going to party. 2 Kings there's a story in 2 Kings about this prophetic, prophetic act, and we all know it. I'm not going to read it today, but I'm just going to refer to it. 2 Kings 4, one is the widow and her son. Um, Elisha comes, and, and it's a famine, and the husband had died. And, and the widow says to Elisha, she says, my, my husband's dead, and we have debt, and they're going to come, and they're going to take my son. They're going to kill me. They're going to do whatever they want to get their, to get their, their, their money. And Elisha says, do you have any oil? He says, I have a little bit of oil. He says, okay, gather up vessels and bring me the oil. And so, you know, I think as a kid, I, I, I was reading this, and or I was taught to me that the widow just brought these little cups. And in my mind, the house, you know, was filled with these little cups, you know, smaller than this. But the Bible actually says vessels. And the vessels were probably like twenty-five gallon, like a drum, like it's like they were big. Like if you can think of an oil tank, or what are they, fifty gallons? What's a what's a big what's that? 55? 45 gallon drums. You think of that, she gathered up these vessels and filled the house with it. And Elisha says, Is this it? And she's like, that's all I can get. He says, very well, let me be. And so he took the oil that the widow gave him and poured in and filled every vessel in the house. And when she didn't have enough or any more, he says, okay, now take this, sell it, pay off your debt. He had to give something to, to, for it to happen. that She didn't have. She didn't have the oil to fill this. She's probably thinking, what the heck? I don't, like, what do you need vessels for? There's, you know, it sounded like it was like a half a cup of oil. But she prepared, and she and she, um, she the the prophet required her to gather what she didn't have. The Bible says, like she went around to the neighbors. I need a vessel. I need a vessel, and she gathered what she didn't have, in order for a prophetic act to take place. Physical obedience inspired spiritual release of provision. Sometimes we have to do something in that realm, in a natural realm that doesn't make sense as a prophetic act in order to see what we need happen, things that don't make sense. I've heard of ladies who have been barren and they're, they're wanting a child and, and their prophetic act was actually to make a, a nursery, to prepare a nursery, to, per, to buy a crib, to do something in that line to say, I'm standing on a promise. And sometimes it took longer than what they thought, but that prophetic act actually caused their provision. That's what God is actually calling us to be, is to that we have to have faith. We have to, have to be doing things that prepare us for that increase. So Something that we've been doing as House of Hope probably for the last three or four years, four years, is that we're preparing a place for increase. We're putting things into place. We're putting people into place. We're having systems put into place. And we have this a- atmosphere where we welcome people regardless. And it affects us. But I'm, I'm, I am more convinced today than I have ever been that we have to be a place
0: that, that is all-inclusive and welcoming. Because we don't know what God is doing in their hearts. Our society is changing. We're like, yeah, it's getting worse.
1: I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's getting worse or it's just changing. We have a hard time with change, and the church has, has a harder time with change. If you look back in the last 2,000 years of church history, the church has always been behind the times. They're never the ones leading the charge. They're never the ones leading and saying, come this way. Let's, Jesus is here. They're dragging their feet, and it's, and it, and it's, it's, it's time to change that. It was like, well, if it's 2,000 years of unchanged. what makes you think that we can change it now? Well, the Bible says that. Jesus says, my kingdom is growing. It's a mustard seed. It's leaven. It's, it's, it's a tree. It's growing. And we have to be the ones that provide a place for that change. But they, but, but they smell, or they don't, they're, they have body parts that are weird. Right? You think a transvestite person comes in who's got breasts and a and a penis. How are we going to handle that? I'm just being honest. We have to get to that place where we don't look at what is going on, but we see Jesus in them
0: and we see we see love. Right? And we've talked about that before. Yeah. We have to be doing things that are promoting active
1: breakthrough in the areas that we want to see growth in. And so we've started here at House of Hope where we've had people struggling with their sexual identity come in and we get like, and we love on them and, 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 we, and, 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 and we embrace them. Well, what's the next part? What's the next group of ostracized people? What's the next? You know, it's like, and we have to look at our hearts and say, okay, can we handle this? Can I handle this? Is this right? I don't know what to do because this is so new. We have to have faith. We have to be like that father. We have to be like our heavenly father that just says, I'm, I'm coming. I'm, I'm running. So the second thing that the father did in this story was he waited for the heart of his son to turn around. You know, when... I think we've all been in situations over the years that we know what the answer is, you know, especially as parents, you know, it's one of the hardest things for me as a dad when I was raising up our kids to, to let them fail because we have the answers we've been through there. We've, 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 we've done it. And like, no, if you just do this, you'll be fine. And earlier on, early on, in my in my parenting i realized that i can't control my kids i can't control their actions i can't control their decisions and when i try it doesn't go well with me and so we've in, we've we've endeavored endeavored and it hasn't been easy to let the kids make their decisions we can give them advice when they ask for it but the hard part is if they ask for our advice and they excuse me and they don't take it and they land flat on their rear ends, how do we handle that? Is it a, told you so, sucks to be you, sorry. Or, come on, let's try it again. The father didn't run to the son in the, in, when he was feeding the pigs. He didn't run all the way to the pig farm to get his son out of there. Come on, I told you, Like, come on, let's do this. He didn't do that. The son had to have an encounter and a realization, and he had to repent. You know, he came to his senses. The Bible says when the son came to his senses and he realized that if I just went back to my father's house, I'd be taken care of, even as a servant, even the servants are taken care of better than I am living right now. So this is my plan. This is what I'm going to do. And so he hoofed it home, and there the father saw him, and he met him halfway. The father let the son have an encounter with Jesus first and then invited him in. And there was no, why did you do that? There was no, I can't understand what, like, you know, here, you know, do you know how much you cost me? Do you know how much that cost me? Like, I just gave you $5 million and you wasted it. What did you waste it on? What did you do with my money? There was none of that. It's like, yes, my son is home. Yes, these ones who who Jesus died for, out on the streets, in, the, in doctor's offices, or the, whatever area of society, they, they are all the same in the Father's eyes. He's just waiting to reconnect with them. And we have to have a place where we're actually willing to have them come in and, and, and love on them. So the Father let God do the work first. Then he ran out into the field to get his son. Let God do what he's doing. Number three, this is what the father did. He dictated the mindset of reconciliation to the community around him so that reentry was a family affair. And there's a lot to unpack in that. When the son came, he called his servants, said, this is my son who was lost and now is found. The servants are going, yeah, that's awesome. That's great. Oh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a party. I'm going to restore to him his authority, his identity, and his comforts. The robe, the ring, shoes. Kill the calf because my son was dead and now is alive. But he invited the community around. And in some stories, um, the father actually went out before anybody else in the village um, could see. And it was an act that before the village could turn away the son... The father was out before the village, and, and even in that, it became a community affair. And the reason I want to talk about this, this is so important, sometimes, I don't know if any of you have, have experienced this, but a child can do something stupid. And if the child isn't repentant, and I'm not talking about young child, little child, just, just use the child as a, as a term, but if he's not repentant totally, he will play one parent off of the other, right? And so I'm just going to say, I'm going to use Andrew because he's sitting there in the front row. Andrew comes, and he's done something absolutely stupid, caused division in the family, and he goes to Deanne. And Deanne, oh, my baby, she welcomes him with open arms. And I'm just ambivalent. You know, I'm just like, whatever, yeah, he's back. And this is obviously just a generalization. I would never do this. But, and, and then all of a sudden, Zach and Maddie are there, and they're looking at Andrew, thinking, how did he get off? Oh, wait. Mom may have forgiven you, but when she's gone, we're going to kill you. Because you're being a jerk. Or you haven't talked to us. You know what I mean? You can see where that, there's that tension, there's that sibling rivalry, and it's we have this sense in the church that if one person comes in and and A group of people embrace them and say, oh, that's so good. There's those ones sitting back there going, well, we'll see. Oh, we'll see. And it's this sibling rivalry, this like, I know them. Oh, you don't know them like I know them. Their hearts aren't right. And we're just going to let them stew a little bit. I'm going to make them pay for what I got for free. And that's what we end up doing. And so, what the father was doing in this story is that when, like, he had this sense, he knew that he had to create a place where the entire family had bought in to the son's restoration. So then, enter the, um. Enter the older son, and this is my fourth point. The fourth point is this: that the father visited the field twice. And the Bible says that he didn't really, but I'm just for lack of. Just just for flow. The father visited the field when the son came home. He met him halfway. And the Bible says the older brother was working in the field, and he heard music. As he approached the house, he he heard music. He's like, what's going on? And the servants were all excited. Your brother, your brother who was gone is now back home. And the father said that we're having a party because his son that
0: was dead is now alive. what did the father do then? He went to see the son.
1: A wise father knows who to confront and who to forgive. And it's something I think we're learning. I'm learning. Like, I do well loving, but when it comes to confrontation, I suck. I really do. Like, I, I hate confrontation. I do like it in some ways. But then if I like the confrontation, it turns out very poorly because then I, I, I get snippy. <laughs> Something that I'm learning to do because I want to be a wise father, just with my own kids and in and, and, and any part of my life. But a wise father knows how to love and knows how to confront. And this is what the father did. He went out, embraced the son, started the party, got everything restored, saw that the older brother wasn't there, went out and said, what is your deal? What is your problem? Let's look at this. This is, this is fun. The response of the older brother. He was angry, and he would not go in. Verse 28. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. You can just see the sarcasm just seething off of his, and the hurt, and his lack of identity. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. And yet you never gave me as much as a young goat, let alone a calf, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours comes, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. Now, it never said that. In the earlier part of the the text, it didn't say that the sun the sun just, it just says the son went out. Um, but he, what he, it's verse 13, not many days after the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country. And there, it just says he wasted his possessions with, and this version is prodigal living. It doesn't say that he, you know, had, was with hookers or anything. It just said that. So the brother added to the story. Like he wasted himself with harlots and you killed the fatted calf with him. And then he said to him, and then the father said, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother. He's like, he's, and this is where he's including people in. This is, you know, we could have people come in, and it's like, this is not my son, this is your brother. And this is what we're doing together as a family. And the father went out and basically gave a cuff up the side of the head to the older brother. He says, your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and now is found. Get your butt into the party and join us. I added that. But that's the the natural progression, right? If there's going to be correction, it's like you need to be corrected and you need to actually now join the family because that's what a family is. I think we have this picture that family is always just so hunky-dory. And when it comes to a church family, and we talk about House of Hope being a church family a lot, it's that when, when there actually needs to be correction and there needs to be some change, we're not okay with that because, well, we don't do that. And that's not healthy. I've had a few things happen in the last few weeks that I'm going, wow, there's some unhealthy beliefs in our, in our house that actually have come against me, right? And laid out all of my, what's the word? Everything that I've done wrong, this is who you are. I'm like, oh, heck no, that's not who I am. Those are just my mistakes. Thanks for pointing those out. You're awesome. Oh, wait a minute. You're not healthy. I can't actually be around you. And it's like, wow, how do you do that? How do you do that as a pastor? How do you block somebody on Facebook? As a pastor. That's not family. Actually, it is. Because the son had to have the son had to have an encounter with Jesus. And when the son came back, the father was in, in embrace.
0: Right? I know I'm mixing kind of stories a little bit, but All right. Are we good? One of my favorite characters in the Bible is King David, is David. I always love the stories of
1: him running from Saul. Remember as a kid, as a young man, reading the stories in Samuel and reading the stories in Kings and how he had his mighty men and he's doing his thing and he's running from Saul and he was righteous and he was, he was a, you know, he was like strong and, and he gathered these, these, these monsters together and they're like, oh, we're going to go take it. And, you know, and all of these stories about King David, how he, how he went from being a, a pauper to a king and, 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 this, and everything in between. And um, did you know David was an illegitimate son? Like he wasn't. He wasn't his father's full full son. In the Psalms, it says, "In sin I was created." I never. It never occurred to me before, but in sin he was created. It means his father had sex with another woman, and he was he was born. And so it makes a reason why we you know we often think why was David not present when Samuel was there with the line of of his other brothers,
0: because this, his father was embarrassed to admit that he had had an affair just a little extra but so david was an amazing guy but one of his
1: downfalls was that he was a terrible father a terrible father he had seven wives and he only had one son that was quote unquote good anybody know who that is solomon yeah so he had solomon there's a story in 2 Samuel 13 that, um, that kind of shows the root of, of David's dysfunction. And that's the story of, of Tamar and Amnon. So Amnon was, was one of his sons from one of his wives. He, Like I said, he had seven wives. Tamar was, was, uh, Tamar was the daughter of, I forget, I think it was Abigail who had um, Absalom. So Absalom and Tamar were... We're brother and sister full brother and sister half brother Amnon and the bible says in um I gave you the in Samuel 13 it goes thir- I think it's 13 through 17 is the story of of Absalom and and everything but we know the story Amnon he lusts after Tamar he's like he's got he's just like he just wants her and and she is like the poster child of purity she's like no no man shall touch me until I'm married and I'm going to be committed to one man and and I'm going to live and and be, you know, I'm going to have a great life with my husband. And, 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 and Amnon is just, like, he's, the Bible says he was just tearing himself apart in lust for, this, for, the, for his half-sister. And so one of his friends comes along, uh, Amnon's friends, and says, here, here's a plan. Pretend you're sick and, let, and ask the king to, to, to let her come and serve you. And so he's like, oh, dad, I'm sick, and let Tamar come and, and, and give me food. And the king's like, yeah, okay, so... Go along and, and and tend to your brother. And so at that point, Ammon raped his sister. And then at that very moment that that rape took place, he hated her. The Bible says he hated her vehemently. As much as he loved her, he hated her more. And so there was something there going on. And she was like, she she lost it. She was traumatized, PTSD all the way. She went into this period of the Bible says, like, she threw dirt on herself, and she was, like, she was weeping, and she was wailing, and what have you done? And, and then she expected him to say, well, you've taken me, so you will be my husband. And he's like, absolutely not. Get away from me. And he had her put out. Well, Absalom heard about this, her brother, and said, what, is, what has happened? What did you, what happened to you? Did he, did he rape you? And she's like, oh, you know, and he's like, do not mention this. Do not say a word of this. Um, come and live in my house. And the Bible says um, that she lived in desolation for the rest of her life. Hidden in Absalom's house. David, the Bible says then, David heard about this, and this is the line. He was very angry. Stop. Full stop. That was it. He was just angry. Absalom wanted justice. Absalom's name means um, Abba Salam, so man of peace, father of peace. He wanted peace. He wanted, he wanted justice. He, it was who he was. And he realized that his father was not going to do anything. He took matters into his own hands. Two years later, he invited all of his brothers to a banquet, and there in front of everybody, he killed Amnon. And then the Bible says David, said, David was very grieved at the loss of his son. Period. That was it. No action on David's part. Absalom leaves, goes to another country. Years pass, and I'm obviously truncating this. Years pass, and Absalom puts a letter to his father and says, hey, I feel really bad about what I did. Can I come home? And David's like, yeah, I kind of miss you. You can come home, but you can't see me. The Bible says, David invited Absalom back into Jerusalem, but did not grant an audience with him. So here's his son, and, and David is not knowing how to handle this. It's like there's this, there's this sense of fatherlessness in David that he didn't know how to handle um, his son Absalom. So for the next four years, David, or Absalom sat at the, at the gates of the city and won the heart of the people by saying this. Okay, I'm going to back up. David was like the Supreme Court judge. Right? He, he was the man who granted justice to people when they had a problem. And so they would go into the king's presence, and he had advisors, and, and he would hear their plea, and he would, grant, he would dole out justice. Absalom shows up. He parks himself, and as the men came in, they said, he said, hey, what's your problem? What's your, what's your deal? What's going on? Well, I have this, this, and this happening. Man, that's amazing. That's, that's huge. Don't go to my father. You're not going to get justice from him. So here's what I would do. Ah, that's a great idea. Okay, I'm going to go do that. And for four years, he did that. And the Bible said, and he won the hearts of Israel, of the men of Israel. Because he was so hell-bent on justice that he would do anything that he could to, to, to right the wrong that his father had done. He had broken relationship. And so four years it took him to win the hearts of the men of Israel And then he had a revolt, and David ran. And the first thing that that Absalom did was set up a tent on the top of the palace, invite the nation of Israel around the palace, and Absalom raped all of the concubines of, of David's concubines. Because he said, and his point was, this is how it feels to be powerless and be raped.
0: Didn't make it right, I'm not saying like I'm just this is the story. Absalom needed justice. So what's my point? Why am I telling you this? David did this because
1: Saul was David's spiritual father. And what David grew up with was when there's a problem, I'm gonna get killed. I'm going to get hunted. If I can't show any weakness to my sons because they'll think that I'm, I, I may just kill them. But I love my son, so I'm not going to do anything. So the thing that he was modeled, he did absolutely opposite.
0: That's why he was not a good father. So he, My point in this is that we have to teach ourselves when
1: it's right to confront and right to love. And sometimes we do both, or we need to do both. I think the church traditionally has been a place where we confront and not love. And we're, we may be swinging where we're loving and not confronting. We, a wise, like I said, a wise father knows how to do both, when to do it. And so my prayer for us here today is that we actually learn to do both. I'm starting to feel that I need to to confront a little bit more. Lovingly, of course, yes. But had David simply, when Amnon raped Tamar, if he would have stepped in and sold out justice, whatever that looked like, he would have still had a kingdom, and he still would have had a family, and he still would have been, you know, a legacy that would have been different. And yet he was still counted as a man after God's own heart. Right? It's, it, that's, the, that's, the, that's the blow your mind. Because he was still counted as that. So right now, I, I feel like God is calling people home. I feel like he's preparing us. And that in the next, um, seriously, in the next 20 years, there's going to be a massive increase in the people coming home. But what we have to do is, is, is teach ourselves to be like that father and have faith and act and do things in preparation and include our family and, and, and learn how to love and learn how to confront at the same time. Because, the, you know, like when I, 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 ta- I said earlier in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and, and just. We have to confess. There's this confession. If we don't confess... If we're not actually vocalizing our repentance, then it's cheapening the grace that God has given us, that supernatural power to change us. We have to say, like, I'm this. I was this. And I'm not saying this as as Christians, we have to do it every day. You know, unless you're doing something stupid. And you're like, yeah. It's not like living a life of a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. We're not sinners. We've accepted Christ as, as our Savior and Lord. We stop being sinners. But we have to provide a place for people
0: to come and go, wow, his presence is so good. He is so good. I I want to change. We have to come to the place where we're not standing outside the party
1: and throwing rocks at the people going in and saying, you people suck and you don't know what you're doing. I think that's... That's, you know, the position of the elder
0: brother. We just don't do that anymore. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at?
1: And I think there's, like, we're going to see some huge increase, huge increase of people coming and us providing a place where where they can come and be and change and grow. And it's going to be bigger than what we've experienced in the last two years, is just a drop of who's coming, and we have to be ready for that.
0: Let's stand. I want. To, oh, we're going to pray. <clears throat> this um,
1: turning fifty is interesting, and a lot of you have already experienced this. <laughs> um. Some of you longer, I think some, I think it was Judy says, I, I don't know if it was Randy or Judy, but they said, hey, congratulations on celebrating your 21st anniversary of your, no, your 29th anniversary of your 21st birthday. Is that Randy? <laughs> and and I, I seriously, I know the things that I've learned in the last, um, well, 40 years of being a Christian is, is that we, is God is better than we think. And, and we need to change the way we think. And I know that's a quote but that's one of the things that I've learned the most, that we have to love people. And one of the things that I'm learning too is that we have to actually love people, but also when they're doing something stupid, we, can, we have the ability to say something about it because that's what fathers do. That's what mothers do. And we are all fathers and we are all mothers, regardless if, if you have children. We are just, that's what God has created us to be. So I want to pray this morning, and I want you to repeat after me this Prayer, and, and then we're going to close, and I'm going to turn it over to Chris. So, just put your hand on your heart, or your head, or wherever you want to lay hands on yourself, and and just repeat after me: "Say, Father, prepare my heart for all the reentries that's going to happen in the next 20 years. Let me be like the prodigal father who understood when to be compassionate." And when to confront. Give me the wisdom on the reentry of the millions of people who will be coming home over the next two decades. And let House of Hope be a house of celebration, a house of restoration, a house of forgiveness, and a house where everyone is welcome jesus name amen thanks for listening to our sermon of the week our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the father and the power of his presence for more information about house of hope
0: visit us at www.ihope.today